Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatic with Aaron Cameron. We are live at the Real REIT Conference, Real Estate Forums, back in action, back in person. Couldn't be happier about it. We, of course, want to thank Yardy for sponsoring this podcast. And uh, most importantly, our guest, we've got Nitin Jane, CEO of Siena Living. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So Nitin, let's just get right into it. We're going to have a conversation about, of course, you know, retirement living and your sort of component or part of the commercial real estate community. We always like to get some background though and, and history on the individual. So maybe just talk about how you got into real estate. How did you kind of find your way to so senior housing? Sure. So I grew up in India, went to hotel school in India, worked in Middle East in hotels. And as you can hear my story, you won't really find a direct path to my current job. And I think that is really the story that there is no really a direct path to whatever you're looking for. And then uh, when I was in Middle East, my uncle gave me an interest-free loan to come to North America because I couldn't afford to come to business school myself. So came to U.S., worked, studied, worked in the U.S. in hotels, and then went to business school at Notre Dame. And then started working for General Electric in the United States. Then General Electric sent me to Canada. I didn't want to move back. Then I started working with Canadian Tire and Retail. Then went to CT REIT. And then I went to uh, Sienna Senior Living as CFO and Chief Investment Officer. And I would say the two parts of the story, you know, if there's lessons learned from it. The first, as I mentioned before, is there's no clear path. When I was younger, I had a lot more strict project timelines on when I'm going to do what. The only which thing which was true about those project timelines is they were all wrong. And the second aspect is I've lived in four different countries. And I truly say that we live in a very special place, which is Canada. Like every country, we have our own problems. But, you know, you have to be truly fortunate to live in a country like this, which has given immigrants like me a huge privilege to run a company such as Siena. To go from CT REIT, for those that don't know, that's the Canadian Tire arm or the the REIT arm or the property arm of Canadian Tire, which is a very, very hyper-specific REIT, focused REIT. To go into Santa Living, like that is a totally different. I mean, we talk about alternative asset classes and retirement homes or senior living is an absolute alternative asset and is not the same as Canadian entire real estate. <laughs> that jump, were you looking to get into senior livings? Were you like, what, how did you find yourself deciding, yeah, this is a, this makes sense? And that's a huge learning curve too. Like, I'm assuming right. you didn't have very much background in, in the senior housing space prior to your job at Santa Living. Yeah, I would say none. Uh, yeah. It was my background. And I would say, you know, I think there are two, parts to it. The first one is when I worked for General Electric, and I know General Electric recently went through a difficult time. But I would say in terms of leadership training, there is no really better platform than General Electric. And the mentality in that company was that you can, if you are hardworking, you can understand some basic things, you can run any business. And they put it into action. The person who ran aircraft engines, the next day was running NBC Universal or vice versa. So I always had that mentality because I got trained at General Electric. The second part, if you look at our business, it's a crossroads of hospitality, real estate, infrastructure, and a big component of customer or retail, which is from Canadian Tire. So one could argue that actually it was a combination of all of those things that helped me understand senior housing, or it's that, you know, at the end of the day, work is work. And if you're willing to put in the time, you can come up to speed at most things. 
I know this is a real estate podcast, but I really want to just talk about the things that you need to know to run a company. But maybe that's a next, that's a tangent episode we'll do after the fact. Yeah, I, I would argue that seniors probably has the biggest learning component to it of all the various asset, you know, subtypes that you can get into. And that include, of course, the four main food groups. You throw in, you know, self-storage or student or all the other kind of ones that get labeled alternative. Seniors is a bit of its own own universe. Yeah, operation levels, you know, magnitudes larger than what you get in purpose-built rental. But I guess the point of it is you came with a skill set and all you had to do was learn the basics of that particular uh, asset class. What was the toughest thing that you had to try and uh, you know, adapt to quickly in your first few months in seniors? I would say I think there, you know, one is adaptation when I came as CFO and chief investment officer. A lot of those skills are transferable because, you know, capital markets is capital markets. Well, you'd run, you come from a REIT, you come That's from a right. Canadian REIT. Right, so yeah. Now you knew the landscape That's at right. least, right? So that part was easier. I think the tougher part is to really understand we are an operating business. So even though we get lumped with real estate because we do have lot of real estate, but we have 12,000 team members who any given day serve 10,000 seniors. So that's the scale of it. You have to put a lot of reach together to get to 12,000 team members. And we have that in, uh, yeah. in one company. So I think that probably was the biggest aspect of it. And during the last two and a half years, understanding how big a part of healthcare we are was a big learning as well. I want to put this out there first, and we're going to get into the fundamentals of the space next. Brian Kimmel, who is the account manager for Siena Living and for all retirement homes at First National. And if, if you work in retirement homes or you work in that space, you know Brian Kimmel. He's been around forever. And he, he acts as a consultant to much of the community that you find yourself in. And he regularly gets asked by real estate professionals, of which we're surrounded by, who are thinking about or who are looking at the landscape, the demographics of the Canadian economy and saying, hey, maybe I want to get into retirement homes. And people come to him and say, how do I do this? How do I get into retirement homes? I own apartments. I own this. I own that. I've got capital. I want to start a retirement home business. And he goes, don't do it. Just don't. It is, <laughs> yeah. you're, you will never be successful. Because you just, you just said you, had, you have 10,000 tenants, customers you call right. them, and you have 12,000 employees. right? You have more employees than you do people living in the assets that you own, which is what I'm pointing out, imagine industrial, you would never find that scale in any other asset class because it's more of a business than a real estate play. So let's talk about Siena Living. What's your portfolio look like first? And let's kind of talk about the retirement home fundamentals. Sure. So we have 80 properties all across Canada in Ontario, BC, and Saskatchewan. Half of our work is in retirement living, which is branded as a Spira. And the other half is in long-term care. And we just entered the province of Saskatchewan earlier this year, find that business, find that province to be very business focused, trying to do all the right things, solve the healthcare problem, which is going to be a problem for all of us as Canadians and frankly, globally. And I would say, you know, one of the first, I came into the CEO job two and a half years back. And one of the things, unless you understand that, I think it would be very hard to be successful in this business. Like we have a true belief that as human beings, there are two things we love the most in our life, our kids and our parents. And we have the extreme privilege to take care of people's parents. And we take it with a huge responsibility. So we recently launched our company's new vision, which is pretty bold in our mind, which is to be Canada's most trusted and most loved senior living provider. And the reason we picked most loved and most trusted is goes back to the comment I made earlier that, you know, we are responsible for taking care of people's, one of the things they value the most in their lives was just people's parents. And we understand both the privilege and the responsibility that comes with it. Well, that's, that's the, captures it nicely. You know, it's like a bank wants to be trusted. They're just handling your money. But the love kind of highlights the empathetic side of your business. You don't love your money? 
<laughs> Not as much as I love my parents, but uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, point no, I, well, no, I'm, I'm just teasing you. But no, I, I totally agree. I mean, as far as the importance of your customer, the importance of the the value of your business, it can't get matched. I mean, you right. use money as probably the second thing. But your point, parents and money, obviously, one's more important than the other, right? So. So let's maybe get into some of the uh, the nuts and bolts of the business then, because obviously there's an exchange of money for keeping your parents in. Uh, <laughs> <They're>, you know, <laughs> good segue. I like that, was that. A, that was a good segue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you must pay a lot of attention to to demographics. You, I think you mentioned that you went to Saskatchewan recently, so you're obviously looking for trends in the market, trying to get ahead of you know where the next demand is going to be. So what do you, what kind of demographics do you pay attention to that matter to uh, your business? So for a long time, people have been saying that. A lot of people are getting older. The time has now come. The oldest baby boomer is now turning 75 this year, if not 76. And uh, over the next 25 years, the number of seniors turning 85 plus, which is really a core market, is going to triple. And as uh, human beings, we find that we don't have usually long-term thought process. You know, we are pretty focused on the present. So we all keep forgetting that there is a huge boom that is oncoming and there's not, nothing much which can stop that. And we saw that with staffing challenges. We knew it was all coming. No one paid attention to it, but here we are. So we are, you know, and we're doing two things for it. The first is to ensure that we're growing as a company. We, you know, in the last seven years, I've been with the company. We have doubled the size of the company, grew by $1.3 billion in acquisitions, uh, entered BC in long-term care, entered the province of Saskatchewan with retirement living, grew our portfolio in Ontario. And the second part of demographics is, you know, there is a lot of conversation about staffing shortages. And I would say, and I talked about Canada being a great place to be, these staffing shortages are here to stay. And the companies which would be successful are that who have a much more aligned team member culture because these shortages are not going away. So we are one of the first Canadian company to launch a Sienna ownership program where every employee in our company is a shareholder. And it does change the dialogue. You know, I do town halls at midnight because we had a 24-7 business. And when the midnight PSW starts talking about share price, you know, you're driving that alignment. What's PSW? It's a personal support worker, okay. which is one of the prime. So PSWs and nurses are the two primary team members that we have other than housekeepers and dishwashers and others as well. Yeah. And so when they're asking you at midnight about share price. That's correct. You're talking about alignment. That's right. Everybody's pushing in the same direction. Yeah. And you have to make a correlation because it's just not financials. If your company doesn't provide good quality care, it's, it does get impacted. It's your reputation and you can come across everything, whether you, your ability to earn new business, your ability to work with government better. So it is, all, it is all intertwined. So across your portfolio, and let's just keep focusing on the demographics and the implications, and we will get to long-term care. I mean, that, let's make an important distinction between, I think, retirement homes right. or senior living, would you call it? Right. The terminology always kind of seems to be changing over time, but senior living versus long-term care, that's is that, that's, those are distinctions, right? So in the senior living space, and this is a two-part question, or there's two components. Let's just talk about first the different types of care provided because there's sort of assisted living versus people that basically don't need any right. real support, but want to live in a retirement home with some general support versus full-time one-to-one nurses, daily care. Can you talk about what your portfolio looks like and what kind of your strategies are as you're growing your portfolio? Sure. So, you know, that's a good distinction. And so I would define senior living as something which is, you know, 55 plus communities, which is more geared towards 55 plus to senior apartments, which is geared towards, let's say, 65 plus to independent supported living, which is more hospitality for seniors. So you have meals, you have housekeeping. 
all the way to private pay memory care, which is a lot more care. And it's for people with dementia that, that, and others. And fully need, need and, and, attention and 24-7. 24-7 care and duty. So that would be senior living. Majority of our business is need-driven. So it's independent supported living, assisted living, which is a little bit more care. And you also have dedicated memory care units. So that is our focus. The average age of our residents in a senior living business is 85. It is, in most cases, need-driven. We did not see a significant slowdown. Obviously, during COVID, everything shut down for a year. But after that, you know, we have seen a significant uptick in occupancy because it was very scary for people during COVID. During, yeah. But a lot of not unknowns, unknowns during COVID. But if you're a senior living in a big house by yourself and the world was shut down around you, it was even scarier. So there was thought process that people do not want to go into bigger settings because they would not be safe. And what we, what we realized is people were missing the social interaction. They wanted to be safe. They wanted to ensure that people knew how they were doing. So we saw a significant uptick in occupancy in our portfolio of close to 900 basis point over the last... Across the country. Across the country. Yeah. Obviously, long-term care facilities got a lot of attention at the start of COVID. I mean, we're sitting here now at a conference with hundreds of people. I don't see a mask in sight. We're all living in a pretty COVID carefree lifestyle right now. But how much residual effect is COVID having currently in seniors in terms of you know, levels of precaution that you have to take? So we still have homes which do have quite a bit of precaution, you know, and especially if they go into outbreaks. And I would say before vaccination, outbreaks meant something quite different. It was a healthcare crisis. And now when we have outbreaks, it is really a logistics crisis because now you're shutting down dining rooms. So now people are dining in their rooms versus eating together. So, which we're happy because, and, you know, if you have to pick between two, the second one wins every time in terms of which one would you choose. Nearly every resident, whether it's a long-term care home or a time at home is vaccinated. And we have very high vaccination rate in our team members as well. So we do not see that as a big challenge going forward. I would say as a society, we're all adjusting knowing that it's becoming endemic, as you just talked about, we're all here at a conference. We do have to be a little bit more careful because the residents we care for do have complex healthcare needs. So we'll continue to be vigilant. But there is now a big focus on the social aspect of it as well, because there's a lot of conversation around people not only want to be physically safe, they also want to be mentally safe. And we are committed to doing that. How much has it changed your, your marketing? I mean, because we talked about their parents. And so, of course, then that means there are children that want to make sure that their parents are being looked after and being taken care of. And so the health and safety is one of them. Do, have you kind of pivoted to saying, this is our building is very safe because here are the precautions we're taking. Here's how we ensure social distancing or vaccination status or random testing. Is it just part of the business now to be focused on that? Or do you think it kind of will eventually just go out of the collective right. community psyche? You know, it's quite interesting because when I came into the job in June of 2020, there was a big crisis in long-term care, but our retirement division, you know, we didn't have many movements. It was really slow, for the lack of a better word. And we had a new leader as well. So we took it upon ourselves to really rethink who do we stand as a retirement living company uh, because we've grown that platform. So we did a very in-depth conversation with the residents, with the team members, with family members and what they're looking for. And there are three things which came out and that's what led us to uh, rebrand it to Aspira. People are looking for personalization, choice, and being vital to our local community. And that's what we focused on. And things such as safety and, uh, you know, health hygiene or, and all of that, they were table stakes. Like, of course, you're going you to ensure that people are sanitizing their hands. You're going to make sure you have nurses when they're needed. But what people were looking for are those three things. And there's one other thing which is changing in our business, because if you really step back and think so far, 
we've been taking care of baby boomers' parents. And baby boomers' parents lived through the Great Depression. You know, their views of life are quite different because, you know, they wanted to save. They were frugal. Versus baby boomers, you know, grew through one of the biggest economic boom. Oh, they had it great. The oh, they had it great. Oh, yeah. We're going to go there in a second. But yeah, no, they had it great. With, with 15 credit cards and they were buying what they wanted to buy. Yeah. And they have different expectations. And the personalization, the choice, and being connected to the local community all came from a combination of both of them. So I want to get to long-term care because that's a totally different, and we will go there. But before we do that, let's keep talking about the senior living component of your business. And I want to talk about the baby boomers in particular. They've had it great, right? I mean, they kind of came in through this boom time. The economy grew basically throughout their entire lives. I mean, surrounded by many of them here today. I don't think you're technically a baby boomer, but you're close to probably, you know, they bought houses when houses were the same price as your an annual salary. Now house prices are, you know, 10 times annual right. salary. They all have really grown up in a very lucky, you know, environment. No wars, no nothing. Like you could just go through a list of all the great things that baby boomers they lived benefited the 80s, from. The right age. Yeah. Like everything worked out great for them. Now they're entering an age where they're going to start occupying your residence. And like you made the point, they're different than their parents. They also come with probably a much wider economic background, right? Versus, you know, you might have like a lot of the baby boomers, particularly in some of the major urban centers are sitting on very expensive right. real estate that right. will eventually be disposed of. And now all of a sudden they're going to have a bunch of extra income or extra right. equity to spend on their last years on earth. And so does that change the way you look at what you do in your buildings where there are more amenity packages or are there distinctions where you've got some buildings that might have lower quality like smaller units versus some that are much larger units with four bedrooms. Like, I don't know. Like, are you, are you distinguishing between the, you're going to have a, a, a number of your new tenants with a whole bunch of more cash than you've ever had historically? I would say, you know, retirement living, similar to long-term care living is a very local business. So if you grew up in Kingston and you retire in Kingston, you're not going to move to Barry just because there's a beautiful retirement home there. And what we found is that, you know, so we have, I would say our, business model for retirement living is more of Starwoods where we have St. Regis's, but we also have Sheraton's and we also have things which would be, you know, people are not looking for that much frill. So for example, we are in small communities where you have local farmers who have, re- who have sold their lands for millions of dollars now for development, but they do not want a fancy four-course lunch. Yeah. They're looking for something that they've been used to their entire life. So for us, it really is the focus on that. But what people are looking for is not as much as more luxury. And there, there would be a segment of that, you know, and we have some homes which, which would compete which in the cater. segment, which cater to that. But what people are looking for is more choices. What they don't want to be restricted to that breakfast is from 8 to 10. It's like, no, no, but when I worked, I ate breakfast at 11 because I worked like... That's my schedule. That's my schedule. And you have to adjust to that. And that's where we're seeing the majority of the change. As I mentioned, I, I used to work in hotels. So, so when I go at one of our, some of our retirement homes, I go cook behind the kitchen. And it's very interesting you know, you have a set menu and then, but we have a, now a big focus on a la carte menu where people order. And I would say over the last two, three years, what I'm realizing is people are more shifting towards, you know, I don't want what's on the main menu. I want the egg salad sandwich or I want a grilled cheese. I want an omelet with these five vegetables. And I would say that trend will continue on where people want more choices. They want something a lot more personal to them rather than one size fits all. So baby and boomers are spoiled. That's what I'm hearing. Boomers no, want I, think yeah. I, think they, I think they know, <laughs> I'm teasing. No, I think I'm they know what they want. And uh, it's important for businesses to adjust to that expectation. 
I mean, aside from food, can you think of other examples like sweet sizes, amenity packages, space on the gardens in the area? Like, what other kind of things are you coming in that will cater to that next generation? You know, the programming, which is whether it's exercising, whether it's excursion, other are a big part of it. And that's why the connection to the local community is extremely important. That they want a part of that. If they grew up in Kingston, they grew up in Barrie, they want to make sure that connection does not stay off. Like we have a home in Barrie, for example, which uh, you can never find parking, which is a problem. The reason you never find is because it hosts the local Rotary Club. It has other organizations which come in and regularly rent space and do things. And, you know, residents like that. They want to continue with those things or their programming, you know, so their exercise classes. You know, they were going to Good Life Fitness before. They want to make sure there's not one gym class all day long. There are multiple ones with a bit of uh, variance so people can adjust Do according to well, how, how popular is uh, pickleball in your, uh, in your residences? I hear it's uh, all the rage with uh, seniors. I've heard uh, quite a bit about it, but I'm not sure if it's all the rage just yet, but we might be getting there. So, Aaron alluded earlier to the difference between long-term care and, you know, and seniors care. And this is, you know, part of the learning curve we also talked about. There's, you know, these these distinctions for the different you know, types of care you can offer. Can you just give us the high-level LTC 101 for our listeners that might not be uh, super familiar with it? Yeah, we might need, uh, maybe need a couple of hours. So I'll try <laughs> yeah, to do yeah. it in a couple of minutes. And I would say the long-term care business has changed significantly over time. Because 20 years back, people moving into long-term care did not look very different from people moving into senior housing or retirement living. And given the shortage of beds, whichever province you're in, now there is a higher threshold of who can come into long-term care. Is that and based on income or what's the distinction? The threshold is their, their health. The health. So okay. people coming into long-term care, it's now nearly end of life. The length of stay into long-term care is less than a year. More than two-thirds, I would say more than 75% of people coming into long-term care have some form of dementia. So it really is 24-7 care. So when people talk about people should stay at home as long as they should and not move into long-term care, we agree that yeah. they should stay at home as long as they can. People come into long-term care, unless you're willing to spend $300,000 or so with 24-7 care, it is truly not possible to care for them safely. Right. And the long-term care is highly regulated in every province we are in. But having said so, we are all aligned on what the purpose is. Right. Government is aligned because we need to provide the service to our seniors. Residents are aligned because this is a need-driven business. Well, it's their parents. That's their parents. And we are aligned because we want to make sure we want the government to be successful. We want residents to be successful. And we want to make sure our team members are engaged. And we want to make sure our shareholders have a return through that. So end of the day, the regulation is there. But I would say it, it ensures that people stay safe. Bad actors are taken care of. But it's not, it's not the worst thing to have regulation, you know. And what we find about the long-term care business for us, and we are a diversified business on purpose, it's a stable, predictable business. And then what happened over the last two years is truly one in a gen- once in a generation thing and once in 200 years, hopefully. That's hopeful, yeah. Uh, so you went through that cycle. But a lot of good things came out of that. Uh, you know, for example, the understanding that healthcare needs have become more complex was not widely recognized, but has not been. And the number of care hours have increased significantly. The need to redevelop these older homes was not widely recognized. That has now come up to forefront. So there were some good things which came out of it. Obviously, no one wanted to go through COVID to find out with those good things. But we are very confident about the focus and the attention to the sector going forward and the viability of it going forward. And some of your colleagues in this space, they've stayed away. Why is that? I wouldn't say stayed away. What's happening in Canadian senior housing and, you know, the 
the big players are not, they're not so many as in the US. There is a focus towards becoming more pure play. So where you what have, does that mean? So which is, you know, only focused on either senior housing or only focused on government funding. So we have a peer who moved out of senior housing business. We, in fact, bought their entire senior housing business and they are going to be focused on government-funded home care and long-term care business. And we have another peer who sold their government-funded Went the opposite way. And, uh, you know, we stay committed to both sides of the business. We are more aligned to the U.S. model. If you look at eight of the biggest U.S. healthcare REITs, and there is a bit of difference there. They're all diversified. REIT, which is called long-term care REIT, is in fact diversified into senior housing as well. And we truly feel that one plus one doesn't equal two. It really equals a lot more because the stability, that predictability in long-term care match with the growth and retirement has been a huge factor to us in our growth over the last uh, but seven the, uh, years. The complexity of the care, the level of the care is definitely uh, not for the faint of heart. I think when uh, Aaron mentioned earlier that our first national senior specialist says just don't get into it, probably long-term care specifically would be... Uh, the one that unless you, unless you are really dedicated to understanding it, stay away because it will break you. Uh, no, I wouldn't use those words. I think what, you, what I would say <laughs> We is, can. You don't have to yeah. do that. What I would say is that you have to be responsible. Like this is not a real estate play. This is not a place where you collect rents at the end of the month. This is a highly operational business. You want to make sure you have the right platform. You have the right expertise. You have the right relationship with the hospitals because you're a part of a healthcare system. So having said so, it is. it can be extremely rewarding. If you go into long-term care homes, people who work into long-term care, majority of our staff is unionized. We have no, we don't see wages issue. We don't have people working at minimum wage. Money is not the key factor for people to be working in the sector. It's, they truly, they feel that it's a higher purpose what they're after. How do your shareholders respond to you being the more diversified than the rest of the community that you're in? Well, everyone is in a tank at the moment. So I think it's hard to uh, gauge that <laughs> yeah, properly. Yeah, no, no, fair. But we talk to our investors on a very regular basis. They stay very committed to us being diversified. And that's why they are shareholders, I guess. The other factor is we have seen that come to play. For example, we got a debt rating, which is triple B mid for a size of a company, which is truly phenomenal. And we got it, we know, because of the backing in long-term care. And over the last two years, when long-term care has struggled financially and operationally, our retirement business has done incredibly well. And we had nearly 20% NOI growth over the last quarter, year over year. So people recognize the importance of that. This morning, the economist was talking about we were potentially headed to a recession. And in a time like that, the business such as long-term care is hugely valuable because of the stability and predictability of their cash flow. Unfortunately, Nitin, we've run out of time. I've got about 20 more questions. And you said it was going to be fast. You didn't realize we could go down all sorts of different alleyways with this topic. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. We'd like to have you back on again, hopefully, and, and keep for those having, 20 questions. For those 20 more questions, yeah. Thank you to First National, of course, for powering the podcast. And of course, Informa for hosting us here at the um, Real REIT. Thanks again, Nitin. Uh, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Adam. Thanks very much. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast after show, where Aaron and I discuss the interview that just took place. Yeah, Nit and Jane, interesting, interesting guy. Because it's seniors, and I don't have a whole ton of exposure to seniors because we do have, of course, uh, in-house expert Brian Kimmel. I do like dipping my toe in though. Like we've had a few conversations around seniors, and every time the big takeaway is like, boy, is there a lot to know here that if you don't know, there's gonna be some tricky waters to navigate. Whether I mean you're talking about the lending, or of course, you know, anybody who's looking to expand into it. I guess the 
the, the, the longer form thought of when Aaron was saying, uh, you know, don't get into seniors. It's generally speaking, apartment operators maybe get a little sick of the, the yield, the low yield you get in apartments, and then they look elsewhere. They look to student housing and they look to seniors housing, which both, of course, come with a little more yield. But it's not uh, it's not free money. You're gonna you're gonna have to earn that money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we didn't get into it because I didn't think it was appropriate. But have you ever looked at underwriting of a uh, senior living? Yes, it's, yeah. it is it is the most complicated apartment, or sorry, the most complicated real estate underwriting. I've done a bunch of industrial, retail, office, of course, tons of apartments. You kind of look at it, and go, yeah, I got it. And there's a there's a theme to it. When I look at senior living, it's like it just seems unfathomable to me that expense ratios are eighty something percent and you know, labor is 60% of your expenses. Like there's just some, it's, it's a seven, business. Seven different income lines. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. And then, and then, oh, and by the way, this one is this because of the memory care component. And this is this because of the, the different facilities. And this one's got 30% of the units are two beds and one bed. And you know, like it's just, it, there's so many moving parts. It's not like any other real estate where it's like, you kind of, you kind of get it. It's apartments. Yeah, there's one, there's two, there's three bedrooms. You know kind of what happens. You can, you can quickly ascertain the rhythm of the usage and what goes on there. At senior livings, it's it is every single property is unique. It has their own sort of lifeblood to it. It's very, very different. Which is why Brian, Brian Kimmel always says, don't do it. Yeah. Just don't bother. Partner with somebody that does do it all the time or or stay clear. Yeah. yeah. No, like I mean, I mean the demographics conversation was interesting. I mean, they must pay a lot of attention to that. And I think you highlighted it that people generally, you know, they don't want to live their life in Kingston and then retire, you know, to Barry just because they can get, uh, you know, some cheaper seniors housing there. They want to be in the, in the, you know, where their family is likely. So you need to be very tuned into the demographics and the aging profile of where you're placing these buildings. So I thought that was a kind of a fascinating conversation. We have more time. I wouldn't mind doing a deeper dive on that, but what he did share was pretty interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. One of the things that always surprised me with this too, is it's, it's not cheap. Well, the, the 12,000 employees for 10,000 tenants. tenants. I, yeah, I was like, like, wow, more than a one-to-one. That's, uh, that's unbelievable. That's nuts. Yeah. So yeah. it's, um, I mean, it's, it is a, it's a business, not real estate. They, I mean, they get captured into real estate. He said it, like, we're kind of not really a real estate company. We happen to own real estate, but we're, we're really a senior living business. So they are, they're, it's, it's, it's one of those ancillary assets. I, don't, I will never fully understand. I appreciate it and respect it. Uh, it's fun to talk to somebody that, that's an expert in it, but um, it's, it's very complicated. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we, we guess we kind of danced around a little bit, but the you know long-term care for the workers there, there's a big emotional component. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a family member end up in long-term care. And when you go to those places, there's a lot of you know, really vulnerable people in the last kind of year or two of their life. And so just, you know, if that's your standard work environment, that's going to be pretty draining, you know, and everybody you're hiring has to have specialized talents and, you know, and we're, and we're experiencing a labor shortage in general in Canada. So I imagine that you know, trying to maintain those 12,000 uh, employees has got to be uh, exhausting. Well, process. I mean, and then when we do this sort of pre-brief, when we talk about what uh, our guests want to talk about, like the first thing out of Nitten's mouth was he just wants to talk about the purpose, the vision for Sienna Living and that most trusted, most loved that all of the employees, you know, have shared, right? That team member engagement is so critical to him and to have a vision for the company that everybody can buy into and understand and appreciate and respect and want to be a part of. And that speaks to what you're, you're mentioning. I mean, again, if you have more employees than you do customers, people living yeah. in your buildings, what what's more important to you? Like, obviously, they're both almost more equally important, I guess, is the way to put it. But that is something you do not find in any other asset class in real estate. No, my, my first thought was I'd really like to benchmark that against 
you know, what's cap rates ratio of uh, employees to tenants? You know, like how, how dramatically different. Yeah. Is well, what do they have? 40,000 units is probably 50,000, 60,000 tenants. And I mean, they may have 600 staff, a thousand staff. Like yeah. it's, <laughs> They're 60 to one versus he's a 0. 0.8 to one. Like it's just insane. Right? He's, he's in, uh, he's in the HR business more than uh, the real estate business. I guess we don't, we don't cover this topic enough. I'll say that, but when we do, it, it is always interesting. So we'll, uh, we should plug Brian. You know what? Cause we haven't done that. If you're still listening, go back, type in Brian Kimmel in, into your, your podcast search engine and find the episode on Brian. Cause with Brian, we actually just talked about what is retirement? What is yeah. senior living? And he really digests all the different components, how it gets structured, what the different philosophies are. I mean, he is really a consultant to the industry. And so if you really have more interest in this asset class, go back and listen to that. because It does describe exactly what, what the business looks like. Yeah, good call. That was a great kind of senior 101. 101. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a solid hour discussion. So if you've got any interest in doing a bit of a deeper dive, that was a great, great one. Yeah. Okay, all right, that's it for uh, this one. Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.